Hello, and welcome back to Grounds and Leaves Theology. It's been a while. No we took kidding. a bit of an extended break. And you thought we were just going to be one of those people who just disappear off the map, but no. <laughs> <laughs> we are back. We took a extended break, just, I don't even know why. I, it was mostly me. I was <laughs> lacking motivation, to be honest. But now we're back, and... Hopefully have some good things to come. Yeah, we're certainly jumping into a hot topic today. So what is our topic today? Yeah, so today we are going to be talking about LGBTQ stuff. So, I mean, funny how a bunch of letters can be such a buzzword uh, these days. But mm -hmm. uh, just at the beginning, we do want to say that because that is going to be the topic of our conversation, just the nature of some of the things and subtopics that go into it. If you happen to have children around, you may want to uh, listen to this at another time or listen to it away from them just because of the sensitive nature. But we just want to give that little notice at the beginning before we jump right into it. Yeah, for sure. So as a broader start, we're going to start talking about love according to the world because right. that's really where this originates from and why... Um, mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus is seen as so acceptable by a lot of people. Right. And so that is just to uh, lay our cards out for you all right at the beginning. What we are going to be doing in this podcast is kind of making this big contrast first between the love of the world, as Ashley said, and then between love according to what the Bible teaches. So while a lot of people might want to approach this topic like with the mindset of we're just going to have an open conversation about it, get that going. What we really want to do is set forth what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. And it's not about saying, aha, we're right, you're wrong, so <laughs> you lose. But uh, it's about getting back to what the standard for a Christian should be. Mm -hmm. And that is the Bible. And so when we have a standard, an infallible standard, we shouldn't be people who want to just open up conversations on these foundational truths of our faith. We want to do that with Jesus' deity. Oh, let's open up a conversation to see if Jesus is really God. We want to set forth what the Bible actually teaches. Yeah, and that's really the whole goal of this podcast. It's not to attack people. It's not mm -hmm. to attack their beliefs. But it's to return Christians to the Bible, to what the Bible says. And bring up how these things are all addressed in the Bible. Yes. Contrary to some uh, opinions, as we'll talk about later. Yeah, we'll get to that later, though. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so first, let's start off with defining, like, mm -hmm. love and with that, what love is according to the world. Okay. So we're going to start with the need for companionship and affection, which mm -hmm. everyone, Christian or otherwise can say yeah. everyone feels the need for mm -hmm. that companionship and affection. Right. And so this gets brought up because when you place a restriction on something such as a romantic relationship, people might object that it goes against the fundamental need of humans. And therefore, if we place restrictions on homosexual relationships, for example, we're therefore by being dehumanizing is kind of how the logic would go. Uh, and, I mean, it's true that companionship is a fundamental need, right? If we mm -hmm. go back to the creation account, when God created Adam, what did he say, first of all, after he created Adam? That man needs 
a helper. Right. right. That it is not good for man to be alone. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And that is true. Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, that's true for uh, everyone. However, truth is true not just for sexual partners. Let's put it that way. Right? We aren't going to say that because kids need companionship that we need to allow them to have whatever sexual partner they would want, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't go hand in hand like that. Similarly, there are people who are celibate, willingly and choose to be celibate, but that doesn't erase the truth that it's not good for them to be alone. Mm -hmm. God still created humans to be connected and interact with one another. And so, I mean, friendships and family connections are vital in the Christian life. God has blessed us with the institution of the church, which we talked about in our first episode, how important that is. Mm -hmm. And this is yeah. one of the reasons that the church is so important, that God has created this body in which Christians can fellowship together, can find this companionship and brotherly affection. So I think it's disingenuous to say that the fact that humans need companionship is akin to saying, we need to allow humans to have whatever sexual partner they want. Mm -hmm. So it's like really important. Like, yes, people need companionship, but they need more than just rom romantic relationships. Like mm -hmm. even when you're in a romantic relationship, you need to have friends outside that. Like right. us as a married couple, we do spend obviously the majority of our time together, but we do have friends outside our marriage. Right. No, oh, and... That's 100% true. You, you just, people need people. It's a, yeah. it's a simple truth, but it's a vital truth. Uh, but we can't <laughs> equate that to romance all the time. Mm -hmm. and that's a fundamental error, I think. But just to build on that too, what we also have to understand is, yes, the, uh, we believe that the Bible is putting restrictions on certain romantic relationships or sexual relationships. And so some people think, well, it's unfair to do that to certain people, but Fundamentally, what we have to realize again is that according to the Bible, the Christian life is one of self-denial, mm -hmm. right? So if you turn in your Bibles, which you should have if you listen to our podcast, because we are people of the Bible, people <laughs> of the book. Uh, if you go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means to deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow him. And so for all of us, that's going to look somewhat different, just knowing what our bigger temptations are, because people face different things, right? Mm -hmm. So for some, that is going to be, they have to deny temptations to lie. It's going to be denying temptations to steal. Some And for some, it's going to be denying their temptations to engage in inappropriate sexual behavior as defined by God's word. So it doesn't work when we try to equate certain sins or temptations with our identity, right? So for example, one of the things I often comment about is we have this term in uh, psychology, kleptomaniac, right? Which means someone who has great trouble resisting the urge to steal things that they don't really need. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to create this psychological category that actually makes it, well, this is now part of who I am. Maybe we call it an illness of some sort, but it's still part of you in that way. Mm -hmm. We need to define ourselves and sin scripturally. So if you have 
great difficulty overcoming temptations to steal things that you don't really need, it's because you're enslaved to a sin, according to scripture, that yeah. needs to be crucified and put to death. You need to deny yourself. And I think one of the problems that we have, though, is we just don't think that's possible because we have a very impotent view of God's grace. We don't think God's grace is capable of actually changing us so that we are able and willing to deny these things. Okay, yeah. So the next aspect that the world describes love as mm -hmm. is the claim that it doesn't affect others and it's yeah. your choice. Right. Like, it's my choice who I love. Mm hmm which we kind of addressed a little bit already, but sure. let's just go more into that. Yeah, well, this might surprise y'all, but the claim is partially true that, quote-unquote, this sin doesn't affect others. Because if you actually turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes there, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Right? So, technically, it's a sin against themselves, <laughs> in mm -hmm. a way, which might seem strange that you can even do that. Right? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, according to scripture, sexual sin is in just a somewhat different category because it's not outside the body. It's a sin that you commit against your own body, but by being a sin that you commit against your own body, which belongs to the Lord, you are mm -hmm. sinning thereby against the Lord and mm -hmm. offending him. So we have to remember that there are two great commandments that summarize the whole law. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe this particular sin doesn't affect your neighbor as much. However, it's still rebelling against God and not showing him the love that he is due as the one who created your body uh, for a specific function. And I mean, that's really in principle, at least what idolatry is. Right, mm -hmm. trying to displace God, if you will, and put something else there. In this case, <laughs> your own sexual desires. Uh, and so, yeah, even idolatry, you might say, doesn't really affect other people. But clearly, we all can agree that idolatry is condemned unilaterally mm -hmm. in Scripture. And the same is true of sexual immorality, even if, quote-unquote, it doesn't affect others. But now, if you'll notice, I said it's partly true yes. that it doesn't affect others. Not wholly true. Because, <laughs> I mean... At the beginning of this, like, move for gay rights and such and for gay marriage, the claim was, like, we just want to marry each other. That's all, all we want. It doesn't affect you. But what has that devolved into so quickly over the past number of years? It's devolved into drag queen story hours where kids are exposed to stuff, to gay pride parades where people are mm. dancing, for the most part, nude in front of uh, large groups of people, again, with children there. Mm -hmm. And you want to tell me that this isn't affecting anyone? It's absolutely not true. The yeah. ideology leads to such degeneracy that actually uh, affects far more than the couple in bed. Mm, it true. goes way beyond that. And that's what sin does. You give it an inch, it takes a mile, as mm -hmm. the saying goes. Yeah. Yeah, so true. So now let's address the favorite saying of the LGBTQ plus community yeah. love is love yes now that really is uh their mantra but the thing is like what what does that actually mean mm -hmm. because it's not as simple or endearing uh, yeah. as it first appears i mean you and i have 
like seeing the memes like why don't you drink toilet water because water is water <laughs> right mm. uh, they're even like you just use the same word that doesn't necessarily mean there uh, is a qualitative similarity similar with water so what they really mean when they say love is love is sex is sex right mm. that's actually what they're getting at they mean heterosexual sex is yeah just as right just as normal as homosexual uh, sex it has nothing to do with love because i love my family am i gonna then commit incest right yeah. <laughs> uh, i'm sure parents love their children or th- people but they gonna commit pedophilia as a result we love our pets are we then gonna commit bestiality if you take this logic to its yeah. conclusion, it leads to all these things. And I mean, then it does make things like bestiality and pedophilia, like, okay, love is love. This mm-hmm. grown man loves younger women. Like, right. what are you opening the doors to? I mean, it's exactly true. So that that's where the logic leads. I mean, lots of people would like to say it doesn't and that they don't support that. And I, it's true that at least most homosexual people, I'm sure, would be against pedophilia and bestiality bestiality i may be saying that wrong uh but for a large part there is a consensus that we are against these things Mm -hmm. as a society however the thing is again degeneracy over time it just keeps Mm -hmm. going uh further and further down and you see that in kind of little increments at the beginning i have seen articles arguing for the legitimacy of pedophilia sometimes we now call them maps minor attracted persons right there's this thing we do or that uh, sinners do where they try to change the language in order to mm-hmm. make it sound more virtuous right mm-hmm. uh, and the same thing is happening here so we can't just hold up this mantra of love is love because that's not what it means, and it leads into all other sorts of uh, degeneracy and sin, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so um, a lot of people would claim, especially the way we're talking right now, that Christians don't love. Right. They don't show love by not accepting this. Yeah. So what would you kind of say to that? Well, it's again a faulty view of love. If they're saying love is love really means sex is sex, and we can't ex- expect them to uh, define love correctly because they don't really have a standard for that we have a standard in scripture of mm-hmm. what love is but they want to define love by experience and we society th- these days it's not even just defining truth by what you think it's by what you feel now right uh and so if it causes negative feelings suddenly that's not loving but i mean a doctor giving you a diagnosis a negative diagnosis to try to tell you to get proper treatment is maybe it's going to cause you negative feelings but it's not unloving for him to do that it would be mm-hmm. unloving for him to just let you live in ignorant bliss that's actually going to lead to your sooner demise true yeah, yeah. and so mm-hmm. yeah they try they tend to view truth uh and restrictions on their activity as abusive that's how they categorize it right you tell them the truth that you are sinning against God and it's uh, going to mean judgment in the end, that's abusive. You mm-hmm. try to say you can't engage in this sexual activity, it will mean your downfall, that's abusive. right? Mm-hmm. And so they redefine these categories again so that they're the virtuous ones and those who are for truth and for certain boundaries are the abusers. Mm, yeah. But if we again look in uh, scripture 
take John the Baptist, for example. He was uh, preaching, and many people uh, liked to hear him, but what got him in prison was when he told King Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, meaning, like, uh, uh, well, as a wife and therefore bisexually. He was committing a marital and sexual sin, and John the Baptist confronted him for it and ended up being put in prison and ultimately beheaded. But we're not going to call John the Baptist unloving for that. As Jesus said, of all the people, of all the prophets, like John, the people in this world, John the Baptist was the greatest who has ever lived. Mm. Uh, And so we again just have to get back to this scriptural definition. And if you don't want to take the example of John the Baptist because he's not Jesus, let's go to Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Because I know lots of people think he was loving he was accepting as some people might say they often bring up the example of you know eating with the tax collectors and sinners but why did the world hate jesus because the world did hate jesus mm-hmm. well jesus actually tells us in john 7 why the world hated him and it's he says it's because he testified that its works were evil it's by telling the world that what they were doing was evil that's why they hated jesus mm-hmm. But Jesus, of course, was love embodied in the flesh. Yeah. So we can't uh, create this distinction, this wall between uh, love and telling the truth. They absolutely 100% go hand in hand. But there is one thing I do still want to say with this, because what's important to recognize as we seek to tell the truth is that this isn't condemnation. We don't want to condemn people meaning we don't tell people you're irredeemable mm-hmm. right and unfortunately there are people who would say that about uh, homosexuals that they are irredeemable reprobates uh, mm-hmm. that they would use the language of Romans 1 that God's given you over there's no hope for you Stephen Anderson is a pastor quote unquote pastor one name who comes mm-hmm. to mind who says that and that's terrible that's yeah. horrible that's not love yeah like I wouldn't agree with that. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah, no, that's uh, a lie. And from I just want to make hell. it clear that that's not what we're saying, too. Exactly. When we tell people the truth that what they're doing is sin and that will mean judgment, that doesn't mean we're saying judgment is the only possibility left. There's no hope for you. Mm-hmm. We want to tell them that so that uh, through the law breaking them, they are then driven to flee to Christ and find redemption yeah. for them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll come to this passage later, but I'll just uh, bring up now in First Corinthians 6, when Paul mentions a whole list of sins and homosexuality is there. Uh, he then says in verse 11, such were some of you, past tense. Mm. That was what you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So there is absolutely hope for salvation, redemption, justification when you turn to Christ and repent of these things. So I do want to make that clear as well. Good. Yeah. So some people go to different stories in the Bible to try and say, look, being gay was acceptable. One of the main (laughs) culprits of that is David and Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And I mean, thankfully, I don't think most people take that seriously, but there are a number who uh, do see that as an example of, and uh, as an example of the gay lifestyle mm-hmm. happening and being accepted uh, in scripture. It's like, I mean, it's not as bad as the 
Ruth and Naomi one argument that I did hear once yes. recently in the debate I was watching on this subject. Uh, but yeah, so this is the more common one. Obviously, most people wouldn't go to Ruth and Naomi. But anyways, with David and Jonathan, the case for this argument, it really comes from two verses. Uh, so we go, to, you go to 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. It talks about uh, David and Jonathan making this covenant with each other. Uh, so this covenant to love and uh, protect each other, which is significant because Jonathan was technically uh, by uh, birthright next in line for the throne, mm -hmm. but he's still making this covenant with David that he's going to be king. So he's kind of surrendering his own birthright to kingship mm -hmm. for the sake of David. And so that's kind of the significance of the covenant that's going on there. But uh, after the covenant, because they're parting ways at this time, because mm -hmm. uh, David has to flee from Saul, who's trying to kill him, Yeah, uh, they kiss each other and, and weep. And so some people would say, see, they kissed each other. <laughs> and bam, uh, that's a homosexual relationship all of a sudden. The problem with that is actually a few things. Well, I, maybe I should mention the other verse before I get into the problems, just so they have their case fully built out. Uh, so the other verse is actually after Jonathan's death. Uh, and when David finds out about it, he's sing, singing this lament over it. And he uh, says, like, he's lamenting over Jonathan, and he says, your love for me was better than the love of woman. Okay, so, again, defining love as sex, like, saying your sex was better for me than <laughs> sex of woman. It's again, goes down to that error of defining love in such a narrow mm, sense, yeah. right? Uh, but, so, I find three problems, or... Maybe more, <laughs> looking at my notes uh, with this example. But uh, problem number one is that it ignores the law, the law of Moses. That was the governing constitution, if you will, of Israel at this time. And it condemned homosexual relationships in Leviticus. Mm -hmm. And David, when he broke the law, such as he did with Bathsheba, was confronted and rebuked for it. Mm -hmm. Right. So it ignores the law, which was meant to govern Israel at this time, completely throws it out. Uh, secondly... It depreciates the bond of friendship, saying mm -hmm. that, like, looking at David and Jonathan, such deep friendship, well, that could have only been a sexual relationship. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's kind of sad at the state of friendships these days that nobody mm -hmm. can understand having such a deep friendship. Yeah. Deep, wholesome friendship. Mm -hmm. Like they did. No, 100%. We... Lots of us don't really know what true friendship means. Sadly, mm -hmm. uh, these days, that it does mean like having this deep bond of affection, yes, but affection, even affection, doesn't itself mean sexual affection. Mm -hmm. And we have to recognize that. Uh, thirdly, this example ignores cultural context that, you know, for with the kissing thing, hardly meant as much in that culture yeah, as it did. Yeah, they kissed each other on the cheek to, like, greet each other all the time, didn't it, they? Well, yeah, exactly. And Paul, uh, uh, to the churches, writes, greet one another with a holy kiss. Does that mean that we're all, all the congregants <laughs> were having sexual relationships with each other? No. no. See, the logic breaks down so fast mm -hmm. when you use this uh, kind of argument. So absolutely not. Uh, and then once again, and we've already mentioned this, it oversimplifies love by making it such a narrow focus on sex yeah right so those are the four problems i see with that example so i absolutely don't think this david and jonathan story 
holds up to scrutiny when you try to give it as an example Mm-mm. for the legitimacy of a homosexual lifestyle. No. So, Sodom and Gomorrah, there yes. is a lot of discussion about what the sin was that God was... Pouring down fire on them for? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So some say that it's homosexuality, and then, of course, right. others would argue that that's not what it was. Yeah. So this is actually a very common claim, at least on Twitter. See, I see all of this stuff on Twitter, so mm-hmm. I I, yeah. I think this is all over the place, even if it's just in my timeline. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, since I do see it all over the place, maybe you've heard it before, it's certainly worth looking into. So Ash and I are going to say that so one, at least one of Sodom's sins was homosexuality and uh, the fact that God put down fire on them is evidence of God's judgment against that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who would say differently would turn to these verses in Ezekiel chapter 16 uh, and you start at verse 49. This is what uh, God says there. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. So God's telling us what's their sin. She and her daughters were arrogant overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. So based on those verses, which don't explicitly mention homosexuality, I mean, you kind of have to wonder what the detestable things are. True. Right? But uh, they'll say, see, Sodom's sin was homosexuality. God tells us exactly what it is. And so or wait, sorry, not homosexuality, I misspoke. Uh, they'll say that God, uh, God is condemning Sodom for their inhospitality. There that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> uh, so, yes, and so since it was inhospitality, that's really uh, what God was judging them for. It had nothing to do with this men having sex with men or women having sex with women, anything to do with that. And so it's kind of a silver bullet for them. See, God just tells us. But... Of course, we're people of the whole book, not of two verses of the book. And so (laughs) if we uh, look at Jude, so you go over to the New Testament, we get a little further commentary on what happened there in Sodom. And so in Jude, verse 7, this is what he writes there. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They Mm. serve as an example of those who suffered the punishment of eternal fire. So, quite honestly, with how popular the Ezekiel inhospitality objection is, Jude, Jude 7 is a verse I would recommend just having memorized. Yeah. Because I actually heard the same inhospitality objection from my coworker when I was a landscaper one year. Hmm. So, uh, it's outside of Twitter too, <laughs> right? Uh, this, these are things you will confront. So, according to Jude, sexual immorality was absolutely one of the things they were judged for. Just because Ezekiel says that inhospitality was one of the things God's judging for doesn't automatically exclude sexual immorality being That's part true. of that as well. Now, the other pushback, if you quote Jude 7, that I've seen from this one pastor, again, quote-unquote pastor, uh, <laughs> named Zach Lambert, hmm. uh, is he'll say, well, that verse is actually talking about how they wanted to rape the angels. So that was the in other translations, it will read strange flesh. So that's the strange flesh they were going after because they wanted to rape angels. Uh, so again, it's a way of saying nothing to do with homosexuality. But if you go back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, did they know that it was angels who had come into the town who were staying? Mm. No. 
they came in the form of men. And when they were brought into Sodom's house, they said to Lot, bring out the men who have come mm. into you so that we may know them. And as you know, and know them, of course, is the biblical euphemism uh, for sexual relationships. Mm. Right. And so it doesn't match the context to say it's because they wanted to rape angels because they didn't know they were angels. Mm. All they knew is that men had come into Lot's house, strangers, and they wanted to, the men of the town wanted to have sex with them. So mm. absolutely, according to scripture, homosexuality was one of the sins for which Sodom was judged. Okay. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of arguing with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> but but uh, yes, that that's the scriptural testimony. So many Christians these days try to modernize Christianity, which mm. in itself is an entirely different podcast. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> lots for you to go on there for sure. And one way they do that is by trying to prove that homosexuality isn't talked about in the Bible. Yep. So they have lots of strategies for that. <laughs> let's prove them wrong. <laughs> okay. Yes, because again, this isn't an open conversation. We're trying to look up. Here's what the Bible actually says. About exactly. It. Yeah. yeah. Bring them. Br we want to bring Christians back to the Bible. Exactly. We have a book, people. <laughs> <laughs> Use it. <laughs> yes. All right. So where do you want to go first with that? Um, well, first, I'll start off by saying the place where Christians often go wrong is meeting wonderful people who are sure. gay. Mm -hmm. And granted, like, yeah, sure, they could be wonderful people, yeah, but... They could be very, very nice. <laughs> anyone who's sinning could be mm -hmm. a nice person, but they're still sinning. Well, yeah, and that's the crucial difference. Like, well, I know this person who, sure, he's covetous, but he's a wonderful person. <laughs> like, yeah. the, the Bible still condemns coveting. It doesn't, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't undo that. But truly, I do think, like, uh, make uh, these friendships with uh, those who identify as LGBTQ, wherever in that spectrum, uh, is that's often the catalyst for becoming a, a fairy, meeting mm -hmm. these people, becoming uh, friends with them, and... Like, I haven't met one person who has changed to an affirming stance on the LGBTQ thing who hasn't first developed friendships with these people and doesn't really want to now think of them as you know, they're sinning and they're going to be judged mm -hmm. for that. So it, that's all, always how it seems to start. And again, with Zach Lambert, the one sermon I was watching, that's again what caused him to reevaluate uh, his stands on the Bible is like, well, I met some wonderful people who uh, were gay. So I need to look mm -hmm. at the Bible and rethink everything I thought. Of. So yeah, does that trigger a thought in you? It does. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to say, by all means, be friends with them. Yes. But that's not what I'm saying. They right. should also know where you stand. Yeah. Like I've been very good friends with people and they've done something that I don't think is right according to the Bible. And they knew it. Mm -hmm. I told them. Yeah. And we're still friends to this day. Mm -hmm. And they know. Yeah, no, it, uh, absolutely. So it's not that we're saying don't be friends with these people, but I think I am saying two things. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, first of all is we interpret our experiences through the Bible and mm -hmm. not the other way around. Yes. You can't invert the process. Say, well, my experience tells me that this can't be what the Bible means. So therefore, I'm going to try to rework these verses mm -hmm. into something else. 100%. Yeah. So we have to stick with what does the text actually actually tell us? And yeah. That, that's our foundation. 
Uh, secondly, while, yes, uh, be friends with these people, we do have to recognize the scriptural principle that according to 1 Corinthians 15, 33, bad company corrupts good character. And so, yes, you'll have friends who are unbelievers. Paul actually talks about that also in 1 Corinthians. Uh, but who are you spending the majority of your time with, right? It's mm -hmm. again, goes back to this need for solid Christian friend groups who are building you up in the faith, encouraging you to work towards holiness, holding you accountable to the truth. Because what's actually interesting about the bad company corrupts good character thing is Paul says that in the context of defending the resurrection of believers. Mm. It's actually not uh, really focused on a behavioral problem there. It's focused on a doctrinal problem, a belief problem. Uh, and so it's not just that um, we're not saying that if you uh, hang out with hom homosexual people all the time, you'll become gay all of a sudden. That's not, yeah. that's not the thing we're saying. But when you uh, spend mostly of your time with these people who are living in rebellion against God, and especially if these people happen to also identify as Christians and say, yeah, this is okay, you will be influenced so that you are led into doctrinal error. Mm -hmm. Bad company can corrupt even good doctrine, not just behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's a principle uh, we want to recognize as well. So would you say, like, if you do have these, like, gay friends and stuff, yeah. which is acceptable, mm -hmm. you also have to make sure that you're still surrounding yourself with good, solid Christian group of friends. Absolutely. That's, you need solid Christian brothers who are uh, firm in the truth, who are living by the spirit, not by the flesh. Yeah, you need those to... There's no Lone Ranger Christian, as the saying goes, mm -hmm. right? You, we need... This is, again, what we talked about in a church episode. I think that's important that we actually started yeah. our podcast with that episode. Yeah, because it really is the foundation for a lot of these other issues. It, is make sure you have a solid church family. Exactly. And, again, just one of the notes I'll say with this is you need to prioritize friendship with God mm. above all else. Mm -hmm. As... James 4 says, whoever is a friend with the world is at enmity with God. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't want that. No, you don't. <laughs> so you have to prioritize friendship with God and that will mean obeying his commandments. Yeah. And he's got a whole book of them for us. So <laughs> he does. He hasn't left us in the dark. He left us an instruction manual. Yeah. Let's use it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole idea that the Bible doesn't talk about homosexuality it's mm -hmm. also rooted in the belief that the bible is unreliable that right. even if it does talk about it it's not mm -hmm. valid or yeah yeah and i mean that can come out in a few different ways the way it's argued that the bible is unreliable at least to guide us in this issue sometimes uh will be well that could have been mistranslated right because of course the Bible's not originally written in English, or KGB only is, but <laughs> it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit of Aramaic. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a question of like, well, maybe uh, it got mistranslated. And that's actually one, a specific objection we'll come to a couple points later. Uh, sometimes, again, the experience has to be more valuable. So, you know, well, since my experience is telling me this, maybe the Bible isn't actually as clear as I thought. So it kind of does away with these standards of interpretation that we use uh, and elevates experience over that which we talked about so yeah there are these different ways we can talk about well the bible's unreliable in this so we can't really say firmly that it is against homosexuality uh, but 
you have to understand is when you say that is that you're basically saying that you might as well do away with the Christian faith altogether. Yeah. Because this is actually a concept I've been reading about in uh, a book called The Revelation of God by Peter mm -hmm. Jensen that I'm going through right now. And he talks about how fundamentally the knowledge of God comes to us through uh, a covenant. We're a people in the covenant, right? For mm -hmm. us, it's the new covenant. Covenant is a central theme in the Bible. And what is a covenant made up of? It's made of a promise and it's made up of stipulations that go along with that promise. So, for example, in the uh, Mosaic Covenant, God says, like, I will, I will be your God. I will let you live and inhabit this land and stay there and prosper if you obey my commands. Mm -hmm. Promise and stipulations. That was the foundation for the whole Israelite community. Similarly with us in the New Covenant, God promises uh, you will have eternal life. You will not die if you believe on the one whom I have sent, Jesus Christ. Uh, and with that are also certain uh, stipulations because uh, when we're called to believe in Jesus Christ, we're also called to follow him and obey him, right? And so that's why there are certain times in the New Testament that it's written uh, like the drunkards and the sexually immoral and the greedy. All these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because those who live in constant rebellion to God in his kingdom are not going to inherit this eternal life. So again, it's this promise and stipulations that go along with it. It's the foundation for our entire Christian belief. And so when you want to say that the Bible isn't trustworthy on this, it's not reliable, what you're really doing is you're breaking down the covenant that God has made with us. Mm -hmm. No longer can you trust that God's promise is actually true, that he will mm -hmm. give you eternal life if you believe. You can't separate these two things. True, yeah. So if you want to say that the Bible is unreliable, okay, but you're going to have to leave Christianity in the end if that's your attitude. Mm, yeah. I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Mm. Scary thought. Well, yeah. So I, again, with this modernizing concept that you mentioned mm. at the beginning, uh, for the most part, criticism of the Bible did start with this modernist thought in the Enlightenment that we need to criticize every uh, textual document and be skeptical of every claim, especially supernatural claims. And again, today, less so than thought, it's more feeling-based, but that kind of root skepticism is still there. But again, you can't separate these the certain reliability of the command scripture gives us from the reliability of God's own covenant to give us eternal life if we believe. Mm. You sacrifice mm -hmm. the one, you sacrifice the other. Yeah. Okay, so you and I have both heard this from a couple different quote-unquote pastors. Yeah, we're using that term loose this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we obviously both had a problem with it. Uh-huh. So that's why we're bringing it up. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so... A couple pastors, yeah, claim that LGBTQ plus have amazing faith for still following Jesus and being involved in the church, yeah. mm -hmm. despite the flack that they receive from Christians. Right. How about you dissect the many problems with that statement? <laughs> yeah. So again. Uh, We'll name names uh, in this podcast, just so you, you know where this yeah. stuff is coming from. Uh, and we believe 
that you, these are people you should mark and avoid for reasons such as this, as they're trying to deceive. Mm -hmm. But uh, Zach Lambert, whose name I've already mentioned, is one of True, those. Yeah. Uh, and Andy Stanley is the other one. I'm sure I've heard it from more than just him sure. making this statement. But yeah, yeah, Andy Stanley is one. Yeah, so those are kind of the uh, two main pastor statements, at least, that we're uh, going off with with this uh, concept. But yeah, th the claim is that, well, wow, you still... You still love Jesus. You're still coming to church. Of course, now a church that's affirming them uh, in this lifestyle is uh, one of the differences. Like, but yeah, people just find it amazing that they'll still do that after people have told them that uh, what they're doing is worthy of hell. Even though the Christian message is that your life is one worthy of hell and you need need to be saved from it. Yeah. Uh, right. So, and again, it's this way of painting these people as the heroes and uh, Christians who are trying to stick to what the Bible teaches on this as abusers. That's always the contrast that's put up here. But we have to ask, like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Yeah. This isn't just a concept that comes out of a vacuum. It's not something that's based on an isolated concept. It's like, I love Jesus. Oh, great. You love Jesus. You're following him and you automatically accept that. No, to follow Jesus, it means something. Yeah. Right? Uh, and the fact is, you could be following what Paul calls a different Jesus. Like, this is a concept in 2 Corinthians 11. He's worried about the Corinthians being deceived, like Eve was by the serpent, so that they'll accept a, a gospel different from the one that was preached to them, a Jesus different from the one they received, mm -hmm. a spirit different from the one uh, that is now living in them. So, just because someone says they follow Jesus, you have to pry into that to ask what they mean, because there are other quote-unquote Jesuses and other spirits that work in this world. Mm -hmm. That's a fundamental principle we have to recognize. That's why deception is so dangerous. Because it's not always blatant. These people look like Jesus. They look like the Holy Spirit in some sense. Just as Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. His servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Uh, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? And the fact is, the first uh, words of Jesus' ministry were, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance, repentance is fundamental to discipleship with Jesus. And to repent means to turn away from your sin and to now turn to Christ and follow him. It's again that life of self-denial that we talked about uh, at the beginning. And again, you can't separate Jesus from his words, from the commands he gives. Because Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. Now, some will try to get around that, actually, and say, well, Jesus only gave us one commandment, and that was to love one another. So we come back to that concept of love, right? So that's all that matters. But, of course, they're defining love by their own standards. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, Scripture doesn't just tell us to love one another. It tells us how to love one another. It defines yeah. what love is for us. First, uh, John is one of the uh, many places in Scripture that do, uh, do that. But the reason love is kind of this main imperative that Jesus gives is because love acts as a summarizer, if you will, for the rest of the law. So as Paul actually explicates in Romans 13, I believe, do not covet, like, do not commit adultery, do not steal, all these things are summed up in the command to love. Love does no harm to a neighbor. So it's not just love as in that means be nice to each other, accept each other no matter what. It means love will mean not sinning yeah <laughs> right yeah uh the antithesis of love is lawlessness uh, according to 
scripture. So we can't separate uh, love from the other commands Jesus gives just because uh, the Bible tells us that love summarize, sums them all up. The way we express love is by obeying all these other mm-hmm. other commandments, such as do not covet, do not steal, do not murder. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the more obvious uh, ones. And to love the Lord your God as yourself means to honor him with your body, mm-hmm. which he bought at the cross. And so, and that will include living by the sexual standards that he has set in his word. Mm-hmm. So saying that a gay person or LGBTQ plus person mm-hmm has amazing faith or is following Jesus is basically a contradiction. It is. Because it's like saying someone who steals all the time has great faith or is following Jesus wonderfully. It's exactly the same, right? Yeah. And absolutely, that's not showing love to God or neighbor. So uh, let's take the whole counsel of God's word, guys. Like, Mm -hmm. put it all together uh, and there's no place for saying that someone can consistently say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus and then live in this sinful lifestyle. And that includes homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We always try to stress the importance of the Bible, but I feel like this (laughs) podcast, we're just stressing it even more. Like, yeah. Take the whole Bible as God's word. God's. Yeah. God breathed word. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So, on that note, yeah, a lot of people dismiss the Old Testament teachings, right? Yeah, which is another mm-hmm. way that they, yes, kind of get around this. No, it absolutely is because uh, most of the time, the when they do, at least what I've seen, because I've watched some sermons and debates on this topic leading mm-hmm. up to this podcast, is when it comes to the Old Testament verses, they are dismissed very quickly, but. Just to give you uh, what they say, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, it says, Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or an abomination in some other translations. Uh, one other place it's condemned is actually just two chapters later in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 13. And that text says, If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Mm-hmm. Right? So clear words like, this is not right. This is wrong. Don't do this. But then, at least again in Zach Lambert's sermon, I'm referencing mm-hmm. this one a lot. He says like, well, you know, other commands such as don't mix fabrics and don't eat shellfish are in the law. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, you know, we don't really obey this stuff anymore. And then he moved on. That was all he said about it. It was... An entirely shallow way of dealing with the uh, commands of the law. And it uh, pays no attention to the work uh, theologians through the centuries have done to help us understand how the law applies to the Christian, right? And yes, there are certain distinctions in the law, such as ceremonial, uh, things to do with ritual cleanness and purity, things like, you know, don't touch a dead body and then come into the Lord's camp. That makes you unclean. Mm -hmm. That's kind of ceremonial. We have the judicial side of the law, which really concerns how Israel was to live in the land God was going to give them uh, and how they were to live, like, govern themselves. It had to do more so with Israelite mm. government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the commands, just to give an example again, was you need to, needed to build this uh, parapet, I think that's the word, around your roof 
kind of this thing that would keep people from falling off your roof because that's often where people socialize. So really just a safety concern. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, so that was the judicial side. But then there's the moral side, which gives us uh, eternal imperatives that are meant to guide the behavior of God's people for all time. That's mm -hmm. why we see these things emphasized in the New Testament, such as stealing, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. to not steal is a moral imperative that was given in the law, but we don't dismiss it just because it was written in Leviticus yeah. because we, uh, we see that this has to do with actually our moral behavior and character. And it's reaffirmed again in the New Testament that yes, don't steal. Uh, that's not how you are to live as a Christian. And so to say, well, since the law talks about not eating shellfish and not mixing fabrics, therefore we don't have to listen to that anymore. It does no justice to uh, how the Bible actually handles uh, the law in the rest of its pages. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, like the New Testament doesn't quite state as obviously like don't have a man sleep with a man or a woman sleep with a woman. Well, I would say it, the New Testament might be more obvious, but we'll really? get, yeah, we'll get to that. But continue just, your thought first. I just thought it kind of referred to it as sexual immorality, which I thought is hmm. why people have more of an issue. They're like, oh, it doesn't mean that. Okay. Uh, I think it, New Testament actually is more clear than that. And we'll, really? Yeah. And we'll get to those verses, obviously. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that could be one reason to like, because there are actually people who acknowledge, in one of the debates I watched, I forget the guy's name, but he acknowledged that the in the Old Testament, homosexuality was condemned. Mm -hmm. And so the topic for the debate was called, is homosexuality consistent with New Testament obedience? Mm -hmm. And he said, here, I just want to talk about the New Testament. If we're talking about the Old Testament, I'll go over there and join your table. He said to the people who were uh, saying homosexuality isn't consistent uh, with mm -hmm. New Testament obedience. So... He acknowledged that, yeah, the Old Testament condemns it, uh, which is interesting that you do get these people on different, they have different perspectives on what these kind of laws mean and uh, how the Old and New Testaments handle it. So not everyone would agree with that, but it's interesting that some would say say that, mm. nevertheless. Okay. But, yeah. So a lot of people say that Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality, that it was yeah. just Paul. Right. Yeah, so what to do with that? Because it's, it's, a, very, it's a very common claim, just to mm -hmm. be frank. Like, mm. um, that, again, even with that debate that I just mentioned, that was, again, one of their claims. Jesus didn't say anything about this. But uh, to press them on this again, did Jesus say anything about pedophilia? Mm. Did he say anything about bestiality? True. Did he say anything about rape? These are all things I would assume these people would condemn. But technically... If you want to be technical, Jesus never directly addressed these issues as we see his words recorded in the gospel accounts. Mm -hmm. There is one passage that we'll actually get to a little later uh, where that addresses this uh, issue in principle. But the fact is, if you want to argue that while well, Jesus didn't directly address it in the gospels, then again, you're going to have to affirm a whole bunch of other things that I'm pretty sure these people don't want to affirm because mm -hmm. they recognize how wrong they are. Yeah. I I think this goes back like this goes back to people not taking the whole Bible for God's word. Like, mm -hmm. okay, Jesus the man didn't say it, but the entire scriptures are God breathed. Yeah. So God said it through Paul. Yes. God said it through whichever one of the other authors. Like mm -hmm. I mean you're absolutely right, and that's really 
when you say, well, Jesus didn't say anything about that, that's what, what you're denying is mm-hmm. that the Bible is God-breathed, that it yeah. is inspired, uh, as Second Timothy 3.16 mm-hmm. says. It's one of the most oft, it's the most oft-quoted verse for a reason among Christians mm-hmm. because of how fundamental it is to all our teaching that, yes, God is speaking through all these human authors who are writing their pages. It doesn't just have to be the red letters in the Gospels mm-hmm, that exactly. are your authority. Jesus is speaking through these people too. Yeah, 100%. for sure. But yeah, so again, I would say, yeah, this claim that Jesus didn't say anything about it leads to all sorts of problems. And it just doesn't hold up to the uh, teaching of Scripture that all Scripture <laughs> is God-breathed. And again, there is one passage that will come to that deals with this in principle too. So people also claim that the term homosexuality wasn't actually in the Bible until 1946. Yeah, that's right. So. Well, the claim's not right, but. But yeah. Yeah. So they kind of, they kind of use that to be like, oh, well then the Bible wasn't condemning homosexuality. Yeah. Uh, So just to give you some context for what this argument is, uh, In 1946, the Revised Standard Version came out uh, with their translation of a verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where Paul is giving, again, one of these lists of the the people who will not inherit the kingdom of God because they're living in sin. And the Revised Standard Version in this year, 1946, came out saying homosexuality was part of this list. Uh, And so, I mean, technically, the word itself, homosexuality, yeah, that's probably the first time it was actually included. Uh, in a version of the scripture but to then say it's like well see the bible wasn't condemning homosexuality until this year it again is it doesn't hold up to scrutiny for a number of reasons number one it pays no attention to how language develops like it doesn't ask the question when did homosexuality actually come into the english language itself like we uh, come up with these terms and concepts to describe different things in our language as time goes on languages develop we're a living language and so the bible again it wasn't written in english so just because we're not calling it homosexuality till this year doesn't mean the bible doesn't have anything to say about homosexual relationships right so it completely ignores language development it also ignores the greek uh context in which paul was writing and again so when Paul was writing his letters, he had access to the Old Testament scriptures in a version we call the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be significant because the word he actually uses in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, which I'll first read in the NIV for here just to give people context. Uh, Paul writes, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. So that's how the NIV renders it. Mm. And the word, the Greek word there, is arsenokoitai. (laughs) I know it's, (laughs) I don't say it five times fast, (laughs) you won't be able, but uh, that word is important because if you translate it literally, what it really means is, man bed like men who bed other men is kind of uh, how it reads literally and if you go back to those verses from leviticus man shall not lie with another man as with a woman for this is an abomination he's taking the two greek words from there actually arson for man and koitai for or lying or bed uh and he's kind of meshing them together mm. to create this word that describes the act that we read about in the law that 
man should not have sexual relationship with a man as with a woman, for such is an abomination before the Lord. Mm. So when you uh, recognize the Old Testament context on which Paul is drawn from, you realize as much as he might be even creating a word in his own context, he's absolutely establishing it on the fact that God has already condemned these homosexual relationships. Mm. So it's disingenuous to say that homosexuality isn't addressed in the Bible until 1946. It absolutely is, just not in that English term. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So next is an argument that people use that I think I could even argue against. All right. <laughs> Take it away, honey. <laughs> they, they use animals. Animals yep. do it, so it yep. must be acceptable. It's natural. Yep. I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> how widespread this objection is but it's there some people do make this claim mm -hmm. that certain animals engage in homosexual relationship there is also is it a seahorse or some some type of sea creature i think who can change its uh genitals like from male to female it's a it's a weird weird creation right uh, but the fact is, there are also animals who eat their feces, who eat their kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and who do like, all of these grotesque things. Do we want to take notes from animals? I don't think so. No, the correlation. Oh, it's like, you, you, again, I think people fail to realize how many other things they're going to have to accept if they use this logic yeah. to justify the homosexual lifestyle. So, yeah, the animal justification thing just absolutely falls apart unless you want to go ahead and justify these other grotesque things that yeah. animals do which the world would be even more chaotic than it already is if we did that yeah but i mean <laughs> who knows where we're going it's been it's a true. it's been a rapid decline and it's true yeah so yeah we'll see what happens but, <laughs> uh, but at least at least for us we do know that god's still in control so mm -hmm. that's kind of the hope amidst the chaos for us yes <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next argument that people use is that they claim that the acceptance of eunuchs showed the mm -hmm. acceptance of sexual or gender minorities. Right. Yeah. So this was Zach Lambert's <laughs> a main mm -hmm. argument in his sermon. That the fact that eunuchs are included in God's people is evidence that homosexual and transgender people should also be included in God's people kind of mental gymnastics you have to, to get to it's like it's kind of wild to me uh but kind of the argument goes at least what he was saying is a uh, eunuch was a category in history which could refer to you know someone who was emasculated or had their genitals cut off for a number of different reasons historically the correct reason is that they were like serving in a royal capacity mm. and the fact is if you were to have sex with the king's or dignitary's uh, harem, that would be a kind of a way of trying to usurp authority from them. Mm. So when they had these officials who were serving close with the king uh, so that they could actually trust these people, they had them emasculated so that they wouldn't do anything like that and try to claim the throne in that instance. Yikes. Right, because when Absalom, David's son, was trying to usurp the kingdom, one of the first things he did is he had... Uh, intercourse with all of David's harem whom he had left at the palace that mm. was his way of claiming the throne and so that's why this emasculation would happen uh, Zach Lambert claimed that another reason it could be is because they felt a disconnect between their biological uh, sex and their gender identity I'm like well 
how do you know? Yeah. Right? At least with someone like Matthew Vines, uh, who's another pro-homosexual person, acknowledges that this is a completely new concept, the sexual gender orientation. This is a modern idea. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he would use that to say, well, then the Bible can't address it because it's a modern thing, so it says nothing to it. But still, where do you get the idea that that was who a eunuch could be? So he completely twists this historical concept and, yeah. and interpolates his own definition and his own concepts into it. And then bases his whole argument off of that. Because if you define eunuch that way, then when the Bible comes to accept eunuchs, you could say, well, now we can accept people who, for example, have this disconnect between their biological sex and gender identity. So that's a, it's how the logic goes, but it's not there. No, <laughs> right? that's, that's crazy to me. Like how you can just kind of insert your own beliefs. And right. be like, yep, that's the way it is. Now that that, now that that, mm-hmm. I've decided that that's true, then this yeah. is true. No, like, legitimately. Later in the Bible, yeah. Oh, that's true. And so, like, yeah, and then he made, because actually in the Old Testament, eunuchs were excluded from God's covenant people. They weren't allowed into the assembly uh, due to being eunuchs. Mm. But, of course, that was God's law, which God's law is good. He had a reason for it at the time. You come to the New Testament, we read the story of Philip and the eunuch. Yes, the eunuch's accepted. That's not saying that uh, this perversion of sexual and gender identities is what's being accepted into God's community, as again, the rest of the Bible makes clear. Yeah. We take God's whole counsel into account. But again, Zach Lambert's the guy who completely dismissed what the Old Testament law had to say about it. He made that argument again about the homosexuality wasn't in the Bible until 1946. He's the one who made those arguments. So when you dismiss these other portions of the Bible like that, that's also what you have to do to enable this butchering yeah. of a concept like eunuch in other places. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the next reason that homosexuality is is wrong. It's a yeah. sin. Yeah. Like... We've kind of vaguely addressed that throughout this whole thing. And now we're going to be like, yes, it is a sin. Mm-hmm. Number one re- reason. Well, I don't know if it's the number one reason, but it's certainly a high reason is it's not God's design. Yeah. And so for this, we have to go back to a Genesis. Genesis mm-hmm. 1 and 2. If you, it's been said before, and I agree with this, if you get Genesis 1 through 3 wrong, you get everything else wrong. Mm -hmm. It's really true. Uh, Genesis uh, 1 through 3 is fundamental to God's plan of redemption and our identity as humans and a a whole gambit of uh, theological things. And we read there that God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. And that for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh. From the beginning, that is how God designed marriage to be, that he has created male and female, two uh, genders, and it is the union of those genders, and only that, which is to come together in this one flesh union, one lifelong flesh union, uh, as marriage. Now, Zach Lambert, we're referencing a lot, because he made a lot of points in this <laughs> Uh but he talked about, he quoted Genesis one uh, twenty-seven, I think, which is that verse, like, male and female, he created them. And he's like, but he had just talked about this category of intersex, right? Where people are born with kind of mix-match genitals. 
So it's a condition that exists. Mm-hmm. It does. It's a rare one, like one or less percent of the population. It's weird, but because he used this category of intersex, he read that verse and said, well, it can't mean that because I just told you why it can't mean that because of this category of intersex. So he completely, again, just dismisses this thing, male and female he created them and moves on. He's not mm. doing serious exegesis with this. Yeah. Uh, but what he didn't mention with this category of intersex, which he then used to jump to transgender stuff, is that intersex is a genetic mistake, right? Mm-hmm. It, it means yeah. something's wrong. Yeah. Right? It's a result of the fall. The fact is we do have fall where our bodies aren't always perfect. They're not mm-hmm. always what they're supposed to be because genetic mistakes do happen. That's far different from willing rebellion against what God has designed in you. Uh, the general truth that he has created two genders, male and female, and that is the institution for marriage. So you can walk with compassion through these people who biologically are intersex because of this genetic mistake, but it's not in the same category as those who would identify as a different gender than what they were born in, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we, and so we have to recognize that fundamental difference. And if you also go to Matthew chapter 19, Jesus comments on these verses in Genesis uh, and interprets them for us, uh, first of all, in the context of divorce. And so he's talking with, I think uh, it's the Sadducees. And so uh, he says, haven't you read, or Pharisees, sorry, uh, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made the male and female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so Jesus condemns divorce on the principles of what we see established in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm. That he's made two genders, male and female, and they are to become one flesh. Mm-hmm. Right? And so technically, Genesis 1 and 2 said nothing about divorce. Uh, but Jesus uh, still interprets it for us to show the life and unit of a man and woman is what God intended at the beginning. Mm, so, right? True, yeah. So, like, they're trying to say, well, Moses permitted us to divorce our wives with their certificate. Well, Jesus says, well, Moses permitted you to do that because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning, it was not so, he said. So if it wasn't so from the beginning, it's implicitly condemned already in Scripture. Mm. And homosexual relations are not what was established at the beginning. What was established at the beginning was one man and one woman coming together for a lifelong union together. Anything else is implicitly condemned by those words because it was not so from the beginning. And again, we know, as we talk about in our marriage podcast, that marriage is meant to represent, you know, the relationship of Christ and his church. If you get marriage wrong, you are actually butchering a picture God has designed to represent this uh, relationship Mm. between Christ and his church. So we have to get this stuff right. It's actually critical to the gospel picture we paint in our very lives. Mm. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Mm. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So uh, according to God's design, one man, one woman, lifelong union. Mm. Anything else is a rebellion against that. Okay, so now moving on to Romans 1, you say that that is the clearest condemnation of homosexuality. Yeah. Tell us how. All right. (laughs) Uh, So again, I'm going to read some verses for you because, uh, you know, I always think it's good to have a space in any forum, whether it's a sermon or podcast, where you just read scripture. That's some of my favorite moments because I know that God is speaking. This has true power 
uh, life-changing application. So let's read the scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. So what I'll read, this is what the text says there. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their woman exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Hmm. So, I'd say that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, clear cut, yeah. really, versus what sometimes people try to do is talk about this one historical or philosophical even situation that was going on in Paul's day and say, well, Paul's actually addressing that. He's not addressing committed, consenting homosexual adults in a loving relationship together. And so they'll say he's actually addressing a different situation entirely. So it's kind of this way to say, it's like, well, Paul's condemning that homosexuality. He's not condemning my homosexuality, right? And so that's kind of a way they can get around it. But when we do talk about historical context of scripture, the text gives us clues to tell us there's something historical or cultural going on. Mm -hmm. You don't just say, well, this thing existed in Paul's day, so this must be what he's addressing here, right? You have to go by the text and discern what the text is telling you in its interpretation. And how does Paul reason to uh women having sex with women and men having sex with men being a shameful thing he's reasoning out of creation that's what he's been doing Mm. these entire verses so back in verse 19 since what may be known about god is plain to them because god has made plain to him for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen but then people didn't acknowledge god and so they go over to idolatry and Also, by not acknowledging God, God gives them over to these shameful lusts. It goes back to this creation account. That's what Paul's exegeting. When men reject God as creator, when they reject God's design, as we just talked about, this is what it leads to, being given over to these shameful lusts. So Paul isn't grounding his reasoning on some historical cultural situation. He's grounding it in the creation order and God's design and saying, you've rejected God, therefore this is the degrading and penalty that you're given over to Mm. Uh, but it's uh, unilaterally condemned and then if you go to verse 32 at the end of this long list Paul writes although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death because and how do they know that because God decreed it he wrote it in his law as we Mm. read earlier and the law is even written on Gentile hearts as Paul also will talk about So although they know these things, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them, Mm. right? And that's so characteristic of our day, that not only do people continue in these homosexual rebellions, people give approval to those who practice it. Yeah. Uh, It's absolutely characteristic of the society of our day. But Romans 1 is clear that according to the way God has designed it, this is not natural. That's why mm-hmm. Paul calls it unnatural. It's not glorious or virtuous. It's shameful. This is not how it ought to be. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is setting this up. He's uh, writing in Romans 1 through 3, kind of, I call it the case, God's case against humanity, right? Because it ends saying, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
That's what it's all leading up to. So we have to recognize that Paul's setting this up so that he can introduce the righteousness that is by faith. Mm-hmm. Faith in Christ's sacrifice for these sins. But if you don't acknowledge that this is a sin, if you don't acknowledge that you have sin, there's no reason to turn to Jesus as a forgiving Savior. Mm-hmm. That's why this is so important because you might say it's not the gospel issue. In a sense, it is because if you deny that you have sin, the truth's not in you. God's not in you. You will not have forgiveness and eternal life if you deny uh, the sin that is there. Mm-hmm. That's why this is so important. You undo the fabric of the gospel by denying it. Preach it, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And so those are the verses we have. People, of course, can continue to twist it as we know they do with the rest of the scriptures, as Second Peter talks about regarding false teachers. But we have the book. It's clear. It's not trying to uh, mislead you or condemn you. It's trying to break you to cause you to see that you need to flee to christ yes okay amen (laughs) so because this is how the world deals with love and Mm -hmm. this is how the world sees loves love christians will have to deal with a lot of different situations and more so as things get crazier (laughs) yeah so Let's just start a little our little list of yeah. different situations that a Christian might mm-hmm. need to think through. Right. So the first one we'll deal with is to use or not to use pronouns. Yeah, that's like, kind of a big one these days. Yeah. He, she, right. they, them. <laughs> I know oh, the whole gambit. And of course, you go to other places in the world, they'll laugh you out of town if you try to bring up these kind yeah. of concepts. This is a very Western theme. Uh, cause just the fact that we have such a luxury, unfortunately gives us too much time to think and feel. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it, but, uh, yeah. So first of all, uh, with the pronouns thing, cause sometimes preferred names get brought up in this conversation too, mm. which also, preferred names or like nicknames, right? Right. Yeah. Kind of that thing. So for example, if someone has wants to identify as a different gender, they sometimes also change their name, usually to a gender-neutral one, like Riley or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I will say that I have less of a problem calling someone by a preferred name because names aren't inherently gendered. True. Names don't have anything to do with your uh, biological makeup, mm-hmm. right? And so it's kind of ridiculous when some people, and they do equate this, will say, well, Edward prefers to go by Ted. So why is he against using pronouns? <laughs> like, the, Zach Lambert is against someone who made that argument. Uh, and there's no correlation. Names no. are in a fundamental different category. So you can call me Shua, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with my biological makeup. It doesn't mean anything of that. But I'm a he. Because that's my, according to my biology, that is how God made me. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, so it's in a fundamentally different category. And that's what we have to recognize yeah. at the beginning. And so because of that, I'm going to say you should not use someone's preferred pronouns. Now, some people will say, as I've heard it said, that, well, but we want to, you know, show them respect because we kind of just want to be kind. It's kind of showing the fruit, the spirit of kindness to them. But let me read you a few verses again and ask <laughs> you, do you still think it's kind? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7, Paul writes, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, 
obscenity, uh, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So according to Paul, like this deception, the sexual immorality, it's because of things like this that God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. Mm -hmm. How is it respectful or loving to participate in and fortify something for which God's wrath is coming on that person? Mm -hmm. When you affirm them in this rebellion and in this delusion, you're affirming them in their path that is ultimately going to lead to God's wrath falling on them. That is not loving. <laughs> it, no. it is not loving or respectful to coddle people into hell. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we have to recognize. So, no, don't use someone's preferred pronouns. If you can, you can maybe try to avoid just the use of pronouns altogether. I don't think they come up that often in natural conversation anyway. That's true. So it's Especially not that... when you're talking to someone. Right, exactly. So it's not that you have to be really aggressive and like bring it up all the time. But at the same time, don't cater to this because that itself is not respect for a loving. Be people of the truth and yes, be kind, but it's not loving or respectful to cater to a lie. Okay, so the next situation is to mm-hmm. go or not to go to a gay wedding. Like if a parent mm-hmm. has a child that's getting married yeah. or you even have a friend like Mm, yeah right what do you do in that case yeah no for sure so uh, this is probably the most common situation you've heard of i mean even got brought up in some of our college classes if you remember right so it's a very common hypothetical that's brought up and i mean for a lot of people it's not hypothetical right Mm -hmm. this this happens so what do you do uh with the gay wedding once again i'm going to say no you should not go (laughs) like like shaking a magic eight ball the answer is no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh, the reason I would say that is because marriage of course is itself an act of celebration right Mm -hmm. and the thing about a gay a wedding between two gay people two homosexual partners is that the union itself is sinful Mm -hmm. right and so some people bring up the alternative like what about uh, two people who were fornicating before and now they're getting married do you go to that yeah like you can wrestle through that but at the same time you have to recognize it's still somewhat different because the union itself there isn't sinful true right because god has ordained that one man and one woman for a lifelong commitment what they were doing before was sinful but the union itself isn't a gay union is Mm. fundamentally that's principle Mm. you have to recognize and so because of that we don't celebrate it it's for the same reason I said don't use pronouns because we don't want to encourage people in the rebellion for which God's wrath is going to come on them. Okay. That's not loving. Yeah. Uh, now, some people might say, well, what about our witness? Won't this harm the relationship? Things like, how are we going to bring Jesus to them? Like, how are you going to bring Jesus to them, the biblical Jesus, if you're celebrating them in their sin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And it almost it almost goes back to having gay friends as, as your friends. Mm-hmm. They should always know where you stand. Yeah. And if you develop the relation, the friendship, mm-hmm. and you really are friends, then they should know that when they get married, it's going to go against your morals mm-hmm. to go to that wedding. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, it's, uh, this is even true for parents of those who are homosexual. I uh, would say, yeah, don't go to your child's wedding. I'm, I know that's a hard thing to do. That's a line you have to draw, and you have to draw it for the sake of love, actually. Mm -hmm. That you don't celebrate them in their rebellion. That you stand firm on saying, this is wrong, you need to repent of it, but there is hope for you if you do repent. Mm -hmm. That's the line, fundamentally, that we have to draw. Now, uh, to deal with a question that sometimes comes out of this conversation, I've been asked before, is like, okay, so what if there are two gay people who are married? and they come to recognize that it's a sin, do they then divorce, right? Mm -hmm. Because the Bible also uh, speaks against divorce. Divorce is sinful, according to the Bible. So some people might wonder how to handle that situation. Mm -hmm. But why does Jesus condemn divorce? Let me ask you that. Why did Jesus say divorce is wrong, if you remember? Because one man is supposed to leave and be joined to his wife. Mm -hmm. Right. And... It's together they'll become one flesh mm -hmm. and therefore what god has joined together mm. let no one separate so fundamentally the marriage between one man and woman is something that god has joined together he blesses that union a gay union is not one that god has joined together mm, true yeah and so it uh that same stipulation on divorce there i would say doesn't apply because it's not a union god has blessed from the beginning so should they divorce when they come to realize it's a sin and repent, I would say yes. That would actually be the right course of action. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so, I hadn't thought about it that way. But yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So again, just go back to the beginning. <laughs> if you get Genesis 1 to 3 right, everything else will follow. Everything else will start to make sense. Mm -hmm. And I know I've, like, I haven't struggled with the going to or not going to a gate wedding. But mm -hmm. I did when I related it to people who were sleeping together or living together before they were married but when you look at it the way that you were saying i was like then that made it make more sense sure to me yeah we just need to learn to think in proper categories mm -hmm. as, yeah. uh, that's what a lot of our conversation has actually come down to that's true yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so last mm -hmm. kind of situation i have for you yes. um so how do we tell, like, if we do have a gay friend or something, how do you differentiate between them struggling with sin mm -hmm. versus the outright rebellion? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question because when Ashley and I sit here and talk to you about uh, sin and this is wrong, you need to stop it. It's not because we're perfect people who mm -hmm. never sin and... So you might wonder, it's like, well, but you think you're saved even though you sin, so what's the difference? Well, I would say the difference is that the difference is between walking and living in sin and falling into it. That's really what it comes down to. And I think First John is a great book to kind of distinguish between these two categories because uh, John will say, like, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So he pleads for us on behalf even when we fall into sin. But at the same time, he will say whoever pra he keeps on sinning is a child of the devil, as he writes in First John 3. So there's this distinction between, yeah, falling into sin and struggling with it, if you will, and then just outright living in it and rebelling against God consistently. Mm -hmm. So I've said before that as a Christian, you may struggle with sin, but you can't sin and not struggle. Yeah. Right? That's the difference. It has, has to do with this matter of conscience. If your conscience 
is like seared and it's not correcting you for these things, there's a serious problem there. And I think it also has to do uh, with who is willing to be corrected by God's word. Because sometimes the brother's like, well, you know, what if someone is like gossiping, you confront them, are gossips going to inherit the kingdom of God? Well, the fact is actually no, not those who are consistently living like that. Uh, but when God's word is brought to someone and told, this is what God has said, you need to repent, you can really judge where a person is at with God by how they respond to that. So it's a matter of actually who is responsive to God's word when correction is offered to them. Okay. So struggling with sin versus outright rebellion, like mm -hmm. just to kind of briefly summarize it. Yeah. It's really a hard attitude. Yeah, uh, it really is. And I'm actually glad you brought up the heart because this may be one of my, actually, <laughs> my more controversial statements, not that the rest of what we've said here yeah, has been somewhat controversial. <laughs> I know, but sometimes we often talk about, you know, homosexual attraction isn't sin, it's acting upon it that's wrong. I think that's actually a bad way of thinking about it. Oh, interesting. Because when Jesus talks about sin, right, he takes it back to the heart. He says, like you've heard it said, do not murder. But it's not just acting on the desire to murder. That's sin. It's the hate that begins in your heart. That's sinful itself. That condemns you. Same with adultery. You've heard it say, you shall commit adultery. But it's not just acting on the adultery that's a sin. It's the lust that begins in your heart that Jesus condemns as sinful. So we have to recognize that, uh, yes, we have certain desires and temptations that begin in our heart. But certain desires that we have are evil in themselves. And they are things that we need to combat through prayer and spiritual disciplines and fellowship with God's people and accountability. So I don't think it's helpful to people to say, yeah, it's okay if you have those attractions, just don't act on it. You need to get to the root of it, which mm -hmm. is a heart issue according to Jesus. Because unless you crucify that heart desire, as Paul writes in Galatians 5, those who live by the Spirit have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Unless you do that, uh, you're just setting yourself up for a dangerous predicament every day that you live. Mm. So you have to deal with the root of the issue, and it does go down to the heart. And that's true for all of us, whether that's a homosexual desire or evil desires for other sins that God has condemned in his word. We have to deal with it at the root. Okay, yeah. So, Shua, do you have any <laughs> wrap-up comments for us? So, I mean, kind of what we've said multiple times throughout this podcast is just that we are people of the book. Mm -hmm. We have a book. So yep. uh, let's stick to you guys. Like, it, I want to say you can find all sorts of scholars or whatever who will, you know, uh, give you their own interpretation of the scripture and try to uh, weasel out of these different comments on the Bible with something such as sexuality. But we need to be people who stand on the Bible rather mm -hmm. than hide behind scholars. Mm -hmm. That's who we need to be. We stand in the Bible. We don't hide behind scholars. And that ultimately is what I think it comes down to. We have a Bible. God's blessed us with this. He's shown us how to live. And he hasn't been ambiguous in it no. as much as we might try to make it seem as if he has. Yeah. And these commandments that he's given us are for our good. They lead to life. When we rebel, it leads to death. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, when we do talk about this again, we want to stress that this is a matter of emphasizing that this is sin so that you can find hope in the Savior. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. So believe the Bible, 
recognize and repent of your sin and go to Christ and you will find transformation and life in him. Well said, my love. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, that wraps up this very long episode back. Oh my goodness, (laughs) yes, this may have been our longest one yet. So we really, apparently, yeah, we were just itching to get back into it after months away. But Yeah, I had lots to say after not saying (laughs) a lot for a while. (laughs) Uh, But yes, we, uh, we do hope to get back into this regularly again uh, as some of you since our friends listen to this as some of you know we are living with our in-laws right now so just because of that situation is one of the reasons it's been a little a struggle to uh, put out regular content but uh, we hope that once again we are providing helpful biblical thought-provoking conversation for you guys so and we do thank you for listening to this podcast absolutely yeah and yeah, sorry for any, like, weird random noises. The <laughs> furnace keeps turning on and off, and, you know, our life is kind of in upheaval. <laughs> but it's been good, and we're still here. We're still thriving. Yep, <laughs> and uh, we're happy to bring the Bible to you again and look forward to whatever our next topic is going to be. <laughs> exactly. If you have any suggestions for topics or you just want to get in touch with us... We'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is... Grams and Leaves Podcast, I believe. Yeah, it's been so long. We're actually <laughs> it's having been trouble. so long, we don't even remember our own Instagram. <laughs> but Grams and Leaves Podcast, we, I believe it is. Yes. Uh, but yes, that's where you can find us. <laughs> all right. So I believe uh, that is all for this episode. Thank you again for listening. So until next time, uh, we are keeping you grounded in the Bible. When others leave the faith. Oh,